welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and joining me today, my lovely co-host is Scooby, writer, fairy gay mother, and founder of Queer Media Matters. Dana Pickley. Hi, Dana. Hi. And our special guest, we have New York Times bestselling author of young adult fiction, Samira Ahmed. And poet and essayist, Charlie Jensen. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. So glad you guys are here. So you're both uh, first-time guests, and I've been trying to like pack season seven with first-time guests. I love hearing everyone's Buffy origin. Uh, Samir, do you want to give us yours, your Buffy origin first? Yeah, sure. So I, before I was a writer, I was actually a high school English teacher, oh. um, and I, I am an old, so I was a <laughs> high school English teacher um, during Buffy's first run. Uh, during the like the original run, I guess. Um, so back in the day, we had to watch with commercials and everything. And I had students in my class say, "Miss Ahmed, you really remind us of Buffy." And I was like, "What?" I was like, "Isn't that?" I'd seen the commercials, and I was like, "Wait, isn't that she like a blonde white girl?" <laughs> um, and the kids were having this was like in my American Lit class, and then they were having like a little debate. One kid is like, "Yeah, it's because of the shape of her face," and another kid was like, "No, because she has an up down smile." And then the kid just like in the back. This girl, this quiet girl said, it's because of the sarcasm. <laughs> um, and so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to watch the show. And um, so I watched, my first episode was the first episode, but it was in a rerun. Okay. But during still the first year. So that was 97, I think. Oh, so oh, so the show was like, had just started. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's funny. I, I feel like Buffy's one of those shows that, yeah, you can get into even if like you weren't a teenager or like, I don't know, you're watching it as an adult. It's still, I don't know. You can still relate. Yeah. I mean, I was still in my twenties. I'm not like an old, old, I'm a medium (laughs) old. So I was just a little bit older than Sarah Michelle Gellar, but I was like, who is this blonde that I resemble? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, that's a good compliment. (laughs) I I appreciate it. And then when I switched, when I was teaching, I was teaching in Illinois at that time. And then when I moved to New York city and I was teaching in New York city public schools, um, and that was in like 99, 2000, I had these students say to me, Miss Ahmed, you know who you remind us of? That girl from Buffy. <laughs> you were like, mm, I know. <laughs> I know. I just weird. I don't know. But like I said, maybe I think it was a sarcasm. I don't know. Once I, uh, I briefly worked at the museum of sex in New York when I lived there. Um, and I had this customer that like, she came up, uh, and I kept looking at her and when she came up, she definitely like saw me looking and I was like, I, and I wanted to be like, first, I'm gay. I don't want you to think I'm like a creep. Uh, but I was like, I'm sorry. I keep looking at you. I really thought you were Charisma Carpenter from Buffy for a minute. And I was like, wasn't sure until you came up to me. And she went, oh my God, I get that all the time. And I was like, it's a compliment though. And she went, I know, right? She's hot. <laughs> but like, I was like so excited. because I was like, is that Charisma Carpenter? Am I about to sell Charisma Carpenter a sex toy? I would, this will be like the greatest moment of my life at this job. But then it wasn't her. <laughs> Charlie, do you want to give us your Buffy origin? I would love to. And, and to do that, I need us to time warp back to 1992, which was the summer the oh. Buffy movie was coming out. And uh, right. I was, I was a, uh, a 15-year-old who was only becoming uh, interested in horror movies at the time. And so when this movie came out, I was like, this is amazing. This is going to be huge. This movie is going to be so fun. Everyone's going to love it. And I was like right there to see it. And uh, I did enjoy it. 
Um, it, there are many Oscar winners and nominees who are in the movie, fun fact, um, who were nobodies at the time. And then, uh, of course, it became kind of like a bomb. <laughs> it was a huge bummer because I, I wanted it to become like a series of movies. So when it became a TV show, I was incredibly excited. And the premiere episode happened to coincide with um, a, a trip I had to make home. I, I had braces all through college, uh, which was really horrible. Um, and so I would have to go home uh, on a regular basis to get them tightened, which was also horrible. But one bright spot was that I got to watch the premiere of Buffy when it aired. And I thought it was incredible. It was exactly what I wanted that movie to be. And uh, I, I was obsessed from that point forward. Um, I didn't get to watch it every time it was on um, because in college I didn't have a television. Uh, but I had a boss when I was an RA who used to tape the episodes and he would slide the, uh, the video cassettes over to me and I would catch up like in bulk on what had been going on. Charlie, I feel like, of course, you didn't have a television in college. <laughs> 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 I, I was very studious. <laughs> uh, I don't often have people on the podcast who started liking it with the movie, so I'm impressed because I am also not one of those people. <laughs> yeah, um, it helps to be old. Um, you know, that's definitely part of it. Listen, both of you keep saying old. We are all of a certain age on this episode today. <laughs> I will say, I'm happy <laughs> you to know, be among peers. <laughs> I've had so I've had so many people on where I asked their Buffy origin. And they're like, "Well, I was only two when the show aired." And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> I would like every for for the audience though that I am personally responsible for many many people entering the Buffy fandom because it's required viewing if you date me for more than three. I feel dates. like that's a good standard to have. It really is. It really is. I, so I've, if you date me or you live with me, like I had two different, very wonderful straight boy roommates that I got into Buffy because I like made them watch it since they were living with me and they both ended up loving it. So I feel like it's one of those shows where you can, I don't know, right? It's like, it's very easy to get into. I feel like maybe now, like in 2020, 2021, maybe like the hardest part would be like a lot of it is dated, especially up front. And I always wonder if that would be hard for me if I were younger and right now and tried to watch it, you know? Yeah. Because, like, they don't, they don't, the themes are there, but they're not as well developed until, like, midway through season two or, like, you know, somewhere around there. And I don't know if I would be able to stick with it that long with how dated it is if I were, like, you know, 17 going to, like, binge it on Hulu or wherever now, right? When I was a first-year composition teacher at community college, I used to bring in episodes as part of our like things that they could write about or examples of whatever the lesson was. And when I brought in the hyena episode, uh, the pack, like they were not having it. They were like, Mr. Jensen, what are these clothes? We, like I could not even, I couldn't follow what was going on. I was just focused on what they were wearing. Um, but when I brought in gingerbread, then First they were season's a little hard to get into. I think maybe if you start, I mean, I would yeah. like maybe just read like some of the episode like recaps and then, give people like start with this i don't know episode later mm -hmm. yeah i i'm always hard pressed to do that though because i'm like but know, there's still true. stuff it's that's true. like referenced later <laughs> right but i mean i i'll reveal this secret now i love 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 parks and rec it's like maybe one of my favorite sitcoms although i feel like it's barely a sitcom but it is and i've never seen the first season like i started with season two and even when i rewatch. Uh, when it was on Netflix, I would always start with season two. Like, I've never watched any of season one, and it's still like a show I love and appreciate. 
So I guess like that can happen, right? I think it's fair. I mean, honestly, like when I do rewatches of Buffy now, which of course I think I assume everyone on earth is doing a Buffy rewatch during the pandemic. <laughs> Otherwise, right. what is wrong with you? Um, I just do like sort of my favorite. I don't do a full, I don't know, probably I'm, I'm not maybe a purist enough. I just go to my favorite Spike episodes and that's it. And just I'll rewatch that's, them that's, like 17 times. <laughs> that's, I feel like um, season five or three, I'll, if I like, if I'm like cleaning and I just need it to play, I'll put on those. Like those are seasons I can just like have the full season yeah, as a background. But other than that, yeah, I'll try it. I'll usually like, and even then, like I'll still skip the body, not because it's a bad episode, just just, but like who wants to watch that casually, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like that's an episode I will always skip. Um, and like sometimes the bleaker season six episodes, but if I'm like on my bed being like, oh, I want to watch things, and I go to Buffy, that's when I'll like jump around and like only watch. Like my favorites. I used to be, sorry, I used to be um, like a season one shame person where I was like, I'm so sorry you have to go through this, but I promise you once you're on the other side, it's worth it. And then the last time I rewatched season one, I thought actually held up. And uh, that realization surprised me, maybe as much as anyone who hears me say those words out (laughs) loud, but um, there there are definitely rough elements to the writing, but I think overall it, it sets up. I think what is the core of the series and and like Ian said, something that gets referenced over and over again throughout the run of the show. Well, I mean, so we're here to talk about season seven, but I more on season one. I think a lot of the rougher elements are more just like they clearly had like a $10 budget yeah, and you know, like it's so dark and like sometimes it actually is hard to tell what's going on when they're in the bronze and you know, I don't, I don't, I think the, the, the show is still very much there, but also I don't know if you all find this. Um, my example is always The Magicians. I don't know if any of you have watched The Magicians. It's one of my obsessions. Like that show very much embodies like you kind of have to like at the top of a show, especially a show that's progressive at the time, kind of like make it audience friendly without doing all the things you want to be able to do i feel like so the master is like you know he's we still have a big bad but he's like barely present you know other than like us cutting to him saying something sassy and like uh, something was foiled right but he doesn't really do much it's more like standalone episodes what it does set up is like the friend dynamic which i think is which is so critical so it does have like very foundational elements it just season one's not my favorite but it it does have those foundational elements that are important and it does have you know yeah witticisms that are enjoyable. Yes. Oh, definitely. I revisited the first episode a couple of times for like different things for the podcast. And I can still appreciate that. Like they are all very, like very fully formed characters kind of from the start. I mean, they clearly go through a lot of development. You know, Willow has a great arc, but I kind of feel like the actors were comfortable in their roles and like the writing of those characters was like, especially Cordelia as like a hundred percent, a fully formed character. The moment she's on screen. Definitely. Okay, so we are here to talk about season seven, the season seven episode, Help. I I will say, I this isn't an episode I revisit that often, um, but I try when I can to watch the episodes two times during the week leading up. Now that I've watched it twice this week, I think it's a lot better than it gets credit for. I even really like, I like this opening because the thing that season seven does well, especially in these like first episodes of the season, is like showing us that like the tone is definitely going back to the tone we used to get, where even when things are grim, it's not a lot of the characters crying and sitting around, even though it does end on that beat. Uh, but I like this opening of like, you know, she's just taken gone. They're just kind of like making sure this um, older lady who died is or isn't a vampire. They're just kind of 
hunting, right? And I like that. I like that we're bringing Dawn. I like that Buffy's not, you know, being like, Dawn, what's Dawn doing? She's trusting her. Yeah, I don't know. What did you all think of this opening? This is one of my favorite episodes of season seven. Really? Yeah. I oh, love I this that. episode. I think it's just really, I think it's really human. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Dana, I had I had no idea, and when I asked you to co-host this, that you liked this episode so much. I thought you, I assumed you would be like, eh, yeah, sure, I'll do it just because, sure, but I didn't know you liked it. <laughs> I'm glad you do. Also, fun fact for you, Ian, Ooh. one of my dear, dear college friends, AJ Wedding, plays one of the high schooler cult what? members. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> he plays O'Keefe, the, like, the dumb one. Wait, wait, which one was the dumb one? <laughs> Like yes, <laughs> like you. He like it, it, he only has like a line or two, but it's like he's like the the dumb one. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, that's my old dance partner and and um, high school. I mean, screw, excuse me, college friend AJ. Oh my god, I love amazing. it. Amazing, <laughs> Dana. I can't believe you didn't tell me that. I love that, <laughs> Samir. I actually be curious as a YA author. What do you think of like? Do you think this does a good job of kind of bringing Dawn into the fold more? So. I'm not the biggest Dawn fan. I'm not going to lie. (laughs) But I'm also, but I also like season seven. So I am actually one of the, I'm not even an apologist for season seven. I'm like, I just like it. But I I kind of am like very easy on Buffy. I'm like, I just like every season. Um, (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) But so for this one, so I kind of had the same reaction you did because I was, I remember, I actually remember watching this because I also wrote like very moody poetry in high school Mm -hmm. and I was a high school teacher and and Cassie, to me, felt it, there were so many things about this that felt very high school. When a lot of sometimes there's episodes where you're like, eh, "That's like not doesn't feel high school yeah. to me." Yeah. But this one kind of did. And initially, I was like, "Why is it starting this way? Like, why are they in the coffin for like 33 minutes? They could have just broken in." I was like, "Why is Do- why is Dawn in the small coffin um, when she's taller than Buffy? Like, why why is this happening?" And then as I, I watched it again, and I was like, "Wait, they actually answer the they answer all of my questions in this." Maybe I wasn't paying attention the first 17 times I watched it. But Xandra was like, tell me again why we're doing this. And then and then Dawn has like her little snarky remark to Buffy about like she's the short one. And and then we have you know, Buffy basically says one, you know, we have to, we're going at this because we have to go like one vampire at a time. That's how we win mm-hmm. right. the battle or the war. And that theme actually plays through. So it had that thematic piece that I think worked. And it did, I was glad that she was like, okay, Dawn is not, you know, again, I was a high school teacher. So a lot of my concerns earlier were like, why is Dawn being left unattended at home? She told, <laughs> this is totally wrong. Like, I, I mean, we have to figure this out. And then, of course, Buffy brings her to a staking. But Dawn has to learn this is part of her education. But it's also great that Buffy's like, but this is also school night. This is wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always feel like I sound like some kind of NRA member when I'm like, but Dawn needs to learn how to fight. But like in this world, she does, right? Because like mm-hmm. they're always in peril. <laughs> so it makes sense for me. Like that always bothered me when I was watching the show that like, okay, I get that Dawn wa- Buffy wants to protect Dawn, but like these monsters are always attacking them like every day. So like Dawn should I don't know, it makes sense for her to be like, okay, let me teach you how to fight for when this does happen, because it inevitably happens, you know, every week you get captured. So I do, yeah, I really like that. Uh, Charlie, what do you think of this opening? Well, let me start by saying that I unabashedly love season seven, and I, I also love Dawn uh, from okay. from her first moment to her last moment. Um, so season seven is, is something that I, I really enjoy because I feel like Dawn comes into her own more as a character and, and less as either a foil 
or a complication. And so in this, this opening to me called back to the season two episode where Xander and Buffy show up to kill Teresa in the funeral home. But, but now it's different. You know, everything that happens in season seven is like an echo of something else, but now it's, it's more complicated. It's more difficult. Um, But a question I had is uh, what kind of funeral home is leaving a body out overnight and also leaving it in a room full of empty coffins. Like, it doesn't seem like a good business model to me. So that was that was one writing question I had. <laughs> you know, I I hadn't even thought about that aspect, but I guess you are right. <laughs> but I I just I don't know. I I like it, and I like that it's. We don't often get um, these self-contained openings. You know, usually like this might have happened, but like in another episode, we would have seen like whatever the i mean there isn't like a big bad but i guess if we're the villain of the episode is zachary ty Bryan, right from home improvement mm-hmm. and i guess if like this were in another episode it might have been like oh he's peering in the window watching them for some reason but i like that it's just like a nice scene that could fit almost anywhere in season seven um that's like a thing that it, normally i feel like i might be like harsh on that being like oh i want it to relate but i like that it doesn't i don't know i i feel like it's very good for this episode because while there is a plot it's not a lot of like there's not a lot of action going on. And I kind of like that. It's like, okay, they're just there. And then they, you know, the old lady does end up being a vampire. Buffy stakes her. Buffy has like her Spider-Man pun and closes the casket. Um, and then it's like, we're, we're done. We're done with that scene. Um, you get the credits. Oh, Buffy. It's important to note that Buffy mentions being nervous about her first uh, week at her new counseling job, which this is the first time I've noticed this season seven. In the first episode, he tells her it's not a counselor job, but then for like the rest of the season, we refer to it as a counselor's job. <laughs> She's like not, not like a regular counselor. She's like a cool counselor. She's a cool counselor. Yeah. A counselor can I was taught at a high school. I have no qualifications to do so, but like I worked for a whole semester, like <laughs> teaching at a high school for like a special fine arts section. It's weird. I don't know. <laughs> this was like the hardest thing. I mean, honestly, when people complain about season seven, I'm like, yeah, but the real issue with season seven is that Buffy could not be certified in the state of California to be in a public school. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't finished college. She hasn't taken any certification exam. She doesn't qualify as a counselor. And, and, she, and even when she says to Robin, like, you want me to be at your school? <laughs> and he's sort of like, yes. I was like, you could never get this past the school board. I, that was that to me is the hardest thing about season seven. I know everyone complains about a lot of stuff, but that was like the hardest. Thing. I love that you like bring down the teacher stuff. You're like, well, actually, <laughs> this could not happen. And also, she only has an office with partitions. Like kids can't speak right. to her. <laughs> Why is it in a closed door? I mean, if Robin wants her to connect to kids, like how can they tell her anything private with like just the partitions? Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I went to a, of disbelief, y'all. Yeah, I, I did. I did go to a pretty crowded uh, public high school, but I remember the counselor's office were like these little closets, and like everyone did. It was like a full office, but it was like this. It was like the desk fit in there and the chair, and that was it. But yeah, so we get Buffy. We cut. I. I. A thing I do love is that we get Amanda, the potential yes. who's later on. I. I love the idea of like sprinkling a character who's going to be like not that important, but still like play a part in the season in an episode like this. Like for me that I remember watching it when we finally got to like her episode potential and being like, oh my God, that's the girl from earlier. And like thinking that was super cool. And that's the thing Buffy always did pretty well is being able to have these like characters that kind of like fit into the episode, but don't matter. And like showing them later and making them matter. And I kind of love that shit. Mm-hmm. 
I loved it too because you because then when in the potential because when she comes on you're like wait a minute she seems kind of like she has a tiny voice and she yeah. feels like she's polite and but she can still kick your butt in D and D and but she's also then you're like oh I remember now when she was talking about how this wasn't okay for bullies to do this and how she totally kicked this guy's ass yeah and so then yeah. you're like yes she is she is a potential. <laughs> they like literally give it to you all right there because she's like yeah well that's what i did and then i beat him up and it's Mm -hmm. like oh oh (laughs) and we we meet our villain of the episode uh zachary ty bryan from uh home improvement who i did have to google his age because i was like wait a minute he was the villain in home improvement too wasn't he (laughs) (laughs) i I think i think that was tim allen (laughs) (laughs) yeah well Fun fact, it was both of them because Zachary Ty Bryan is like aggressively MAGA now. So, uh, uh. but I had to Google because I was like, wait a minute, wouldn't he be older than Sam Michelle Geller? But no, he is four years younger than. You know who's still great though? AJ Wedding. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to know. <laughs> I, so we get, we get the two of them. Buffy does her counseling thing. Um, then we cut to Willow and Xander. And I do love this scene. Oh. Dana. <laughs> What, just because I'm a lesbian, I'm supposed to answer? (laughs) (laughs) Now we cut to a lesbian. Um, Because I know you have strong thoughts on Willow and Tara. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, um, it's tough. It's, it's good. It's important and it's tough, but it's, I think it's, it's the first time she's been to Tara's grave, right? It's because she's just not been able to, to bring herself to do so. And, oh man, it's hard to see that grave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I tear up every time. I like, you know, I know we do rag on Xander, but I, I think this is a good Xander Willow best friend scene. I appreciate that she's not going alone. I do. That's like an important thing, I think, that like while she goes up to the grave herself because she wants her privacy, it's important that she has, you know, support that's like waiting when she's done. I just it's a nice moment between the two of them. And I said this in the previous episode, same time, same place. We don't moving forward. We don't get a lot of like. The Scoobies don't really get any like alone best friend moments that much once we get to like the halfway point. So I like getting this moment of Xander being a supportive friend, him going with her. And uh Allison Hannigan is such a good actor. Like her going to that grave breaks my heart every time. Um, but that Dana, that's what I was wondering if you thought, because I, I agree with you. I think it's important to have that here especially since there's nowhere it would fit once we get a bajillion potentials in the house. Right. Well, because we never really get to see Willow grieve because she right. so quickly turns into this, like, you know, magical rage monster. So, like, right. actually getting to her – that's why I keep saying this episode is so human to me. It's like she has this really human grieving experience at the grave, and it's really beautiful. Yeah. I think this moment's important for two reasons. One is – to really follow through on Tara's death and not just leave it as something that was like a plot point in at the end of yeah. season six. Mm-hmm. So like it's, it's sustaining that grief and reminding us that although the show has moved on, like the characters have not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And also I think it's important because it's, it's queuing up what happens in conversations with dead people in a really mm-hmm. subtle way. So seeing Willow have this moment and seeing her, not cry, but like you can tell that she is seconds away from bursting into tears at the grave. And then right. when when she encounters the thing in the later episode, it, it has more weight to it, I think, because the grief is is still so fresh to us as viewers. I also like this small, I mean, I get choked up at this scene too, and I feel like it was handled 
just right. And it was one of this. I th- honestly, I think Xander had some great moments in this episode. And I'm also not a huge Xander fan. <laughs> but he did have a, some great friendship moments in here. And even like some moments of humor. But I also like the very, I mean, this is just such a small detail, but of Willow putting the stone on the grave the yeah. small stones, because mm-hmm. that's a, a Jewish tradition. And like, I do like that they remind us um, about Willow being Jewish um, in these small ways that are meaningful, like culturally and, you know, yeah. traditionally meaningful. So I don't know, that also made me just like, it, it just like puts this twist the vice on your heart a little bit. You know what? And I think you're right. The, I, that's an important thing that you just said was that like, they don't show Willow. We don't need to see her sobbing because we don't need to see that, right? She goes up and she's like on the verge of tears, but we don't, it doesn't feel too it doesn't feel like too much. It feels like real. It feels like a genuine character moment. I will say, uh, when I watched this live, because I didn't know that it was a I mean, now I know that it's a Jewish tradition, but I didn't at the time. And I thought it was like a reference since like they always say like they like reference the Wicca and like the earth and like even in these episodes when Willow comes back, I thought it was a reference to like the earth and like witchiness and stuff like that. But I do love that it's a reference to her being Jewish, and we don't need to say, I'm doing this because I'm Jewish. Like, they just do it. You accept it. Even if you don't know what it is, you will learn. And, like, I, those are things I really like with characters. Um, you know, uh, 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 Samir, you write very diverse stories. Like, right? Do you, is that, do you like that better than them telling you or? I mean, I like this because it's it's one thing is I do think you can actually read it or understand it as what you said, which is like this connection to an earth, like her being like a rock for, you know, mm-hmm. for a willow, um, you know, very, you, you can understand it that way. But it also is like kind of a shorthand to like the viewers who do know, like it's right. like one of those, if you know, you know, and right. it's also kind of nice to just have that moment of recognition for people who don't always get to be seen. Yeah, like yeah. it as these characters or as the hero or as whatever. It's just the I don't know. I just I do really like those sort of small, um, meaningful cultural nods, and the rest of us can, as Willow says, Google it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to Counselor Buffy. We get this boy who's coming out, quote unquote, to her, and I can remember when I watched this thinking, yes, of course a young gay boy would come out to Buffy Summers. Like, oh, that makes so much sense. So that I was like, oh man. <laughs> um, I I get it. Cause like, I'm sure there would be the pervy straight boys who are being, you know, gross, but I wish it was like this like sweet young gay boy who's like, oh, you seem really nice. Let me, you know, talk to mm-hmm. you. I would have, I would love a scene of that because I mean, right? I just feel like it. Was, she would be a person that a queer person might at least feel a little bit safer with, you know? Right, because she signals immediately, like, "I'm, I'm here for you to talk. Yeah. To, I'm glad that you were talk to me about this, and I'm here <laughs> for you." And then you're like, "Ah." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do love the cut to Dawn, uh, Charlie. Since you love Dawn so much, do you wanna? Yeah, uh, I actually love this moment so much. Buffy starts by reiterating, like, like as a counselor would, what the student has said to her about her sister being such a problem in her life. And then I cut and it's Dawn sitting across from her. Uh, and one of the things Dawn mentions is that Buffy steals her clothes all the time. Um, I will say that this is a great wardrobe episode for Buffy. A plus is across the board. So Dawn <laughs> therefore has good taste. <laughs> so it ends kind of, well, the scene ends on Buffy talking to Cassie. I love Cassie. 
I love Cassie too. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad we're all Charlie, do you want yes. to like her? Love. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh I think Azura Sky really like I it really kills it with this. She kills like, everything. Yes, yeah. she's a, she's a fantastic actress. But like, yeah. she's she's that girl I would have wanted to be friends with in high school. <laughs> Same. I would have thought she was so cool. That's why I love when Don is like Buffy gives Don like, okay, you have this mission. I need you to get close to her. And then Don is like, but she really. Then she becomes like her friend, and she because she realizes she's like this awesome girl. Yeah. 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 Like I literally like my best friend in high school who's been on the podcast a lot, Kimberly Ann, she she was a poet who wore like long skirts and, you know, stuff like that. And that's totally the girl that I would have like thought was that's like teenage Ian. I mean still adult Ian. That's the person I would have thought was cool and would have wanted to be friends with. Yeah. I was I was definitely Cassie in high school, except I was a straight A student. I didn't give up on schoolwork. Um, but aside from that, like especially by the time I was a senior, I was definitely her. But did you have premonitions of your own death? Is that, I mean, yeah, that's, that's why a, she gave up of, on everything. A lot of my poetry was about that, even though it wasn't actually happening. But yeah, gotcha. I, I was that tortured adolescent, unfortunately. <laughs> so yeah, I, the way she, I really like that she has these prophecies, but even she doesn't really know, right? I kind of like that it's like ill-defined powers. We don't know why or how she's seeing all this and she really doesn't know either right she just kind of is like you know you you might get a stain on your shirt also you're gonna go somewhere dark also i just know i'm going to die like i don't know what it is but and i think that's a really intriguing way to play that character as like a cool teen who's like more of an outcast mm -hmm. um but is like she's sweet and very tender yeah and so resigned to her fate like yes. it's like this like terrifying calmness <laughs> Yes. You know, even when when she's with Dawn outside later and she's like, it's not your fault. Like, she knows she's still going to die. Like, she knows there's, she says it at the beginning and she knows throughout that, like, there's nothing anyone can do. She's going to die. And, like, while that is really bleak, I, I don't know, the way she plays it, she's not, like, they, they do say often, like, oh, she's a moody teen. But, like, realistically, she's not a moody teen because yeah. she's right. She knew she was going to die and she's just kind of like, well, this is going to happen. And then it does. And she has like so much compassion for the other characters. Mm -hmm. Yes. I really love that about her. I mean, she is, she does have maybe a kind of moodiness, which I probably also would if right, I was yeah. in her situation. <laughs> um, but she, but she knows that she's telling them that everybody will want to help her and everybody wants to try to do this. And she, and she just has a big heart for everybody, which is, uh, She's a yep. great character. Yeah. there. I do have a question about the logic of the, the writing in this part, though. So, like, in retrospect, we, we, know, we, we know Cassie will die in this episode, and right. Cassie knows she will die. She also knows Buffy's going to try to help her. She knows, like, scattered details, but my question is, like, why did she even go to Buffy to tell her? Like if she knows it was Buffy, mandatory, I think. Yes, it was. I thought that's what they said that she, a teacher said that she had to. Yeah, because oh. her grades were failing and the teacher well, were and worried. And she was about writing her. like very depressing poetry on her like angel fire site, <laughs> <laughs> which she built with flash. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to Principal Wood, and I, I like that he just he kind of sees Buffy as just like you know like she's new and she just really wants to help, and he's kind of. He's kind of like, well, you reported it to me. That's all we can do. Like, that's it. We're good. But I, I, I like the idea of Buffy being, and that fits with her very type A personality, which comes up often as, again, later in the season towards the end, um, where she's like, no, I have to do this. I have to save her. 
I also like that Buffy kind of believes her right up front and no one else does. Even Willow and Xander are like, oh, are you sure she's a precog? Um, and Buffy's like, nope, if this girl said this is going to happen, like I, Buffy's like, we live in this world where, you know, vampires and shit are real. So why wouldn't this be real? And I like that. Uh, we, we get the scene of when Principal Wood says where I'm from mm-hmm. and she says, the hood. <laughs> yeah. Nothing like a little casual racism. But he kind of calls her out on it, too. Yeah. Yes. That, so that's where I wanted to ask what you all thought. Like, because he does call her out on it, I'm like, oh, was that writing intentional? Or, like, right? Because he does call her on it. And I do like that he's like, Beverly Hills. Like, and like, you know, rolling his eyes at her. So I can't tell if that was on purpose to like kind of show like, oh, Buffy's, you know, this like younger white girl who's like not doesn't have a diverse friend group or if it was just like a funny i don't know i was trying to i'm probably reading too much into this i don't think buffy great at slaying vampires not so great with like conversations with like normal people (laughs) also that true I, I, I also was wondering i assume that because he turned to her and gave her that look and was like beverly hills which i guess is technically a hood because it is a neighborhood <laughs> right and buffy buffy does have a yeah oh it is sorry i, I know i i'm sorry i'm no but I he does say that he does say technically it's a hood he does <laughs> um but um i felt like then buffy kind of was like she had that kind of look on her face like oops i think i kind of just stepped in it so i felt mm-hmm. like there is at least some there's some recognition that this was kind of a, a crappy thing to say but i don't think it's that deep on just like the whole series is like a you know yeah it's, it's a pretty white series it's weird though that buffy's from la so it seems like she like in her background her life was probably more diverse than it is in sunnydale well right i mean right it's a show that is very white set in a place that wouldn't be as like she would definitely like have other like come into contact with people who weren't just all white people yeah. but you know well, that's sim- a lot of shows <laughs> yeah symptom of being a show on the air in you know 2000s <laughs> and 90s but so then buffy does spill coffee on her white top that cassie said put on a sweater so you don't stain it but why is it cassie love this shirt so much i'm sorry this also bothered me i was like it's just a white rib tee right it is just a plain white rib <laughs> i was like could sh- I, I do like the the beads the necklace that you wore with yes. it but i was also like what it's just a tank top like is it that nice of a shirt but I don't know. Maybe. Like you buy that in a pack, right? Like you could. <laughs> it's definitely low on the totem pole of great shirts in this episode. <laughs> I, maybe Cassie was just searching for a reason to like convince her, like right. to bring it up in conversation. Because it would be just weird to be like, you're going to stain that shirt because I'm a precog and can tell. <laughs> she wanted to flex a little bit um so then buffy goes like that's kind of like i feel like the spill of the coffee is what like really pushes it home for buffy that like oh this young girl is like she is having like she's a precog right that's when buffy's like okay i'm going to dawn i'm gonna tell her that she needs to watch over cassie and dawn does go to cassie and i gotta say i think dawn and cassie have like some pretty good friend chemistry Mm -hmm. i liked the idea of dawn being friends with a more like younger, like hot topic y type girl. <laughs> I mean, but of course I do. But like, I just, I don't know. I, I think that's like, I wish we could have gotten any friend of Dawn's to stick around more than an episode. I, I yeah. wish Cassie could be in there more. I mean, I know we're going to see a, a return, right. sort of, but mm-hmm. I, I do, I, I wanted that friendship more. And I think maybe that's part of what makes this kind of a, a heart wrenching episode because it is like one of us 
it's like a more it's a sadder, more somber episode, yeah. obviously. But I think that's part of it too, because you're like, wait, Don is making a friend. Good job, Don. <laughs> yes, you're, you're finding things to talk about, and it's not just all awkward. And you know, it was good. And it's a it's but, a moment where we see Don move away from selfishness, which is which has kind of been her mo since her introduction. And it demonstrates that she does have a growing awareness and compassion for people around her in part because of what she's lived through. So I, I really like that moment for that reason too. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I, I would have liked, even if it was like, okay, we eventually have to have this character die. I would have been like, if she was there as much as a few episodes or something, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't, Dawn deserved to have some friends <laughs> that didn't go away or die immediately. So Dawn and we, oh, we also meet, which is important. I not really important, but we meet that Cassie has a friend, Mike, who becomes like, for a moment, their number one suspect, um, <laughs> Red Herring. <laughs> I, I, I like, I do, I do also like that he is kind of just like this, like nerdy, nice teen boy, right? Like mm-hmm. he's not, he's not actually. He's like, yeah, she asked me, but she said no, well, no big deal. Like he's not shitty teen boy like the rest of the teen boys we will encounter in the rest of the episode. So we cut to the Summers house at night. Buffy is having Willow do some research, which is the first time on Buffy that we see the Demons, Demons, Demons website. (laughs) Which I love because Cordelia Chase had been using that for years at this point. Amazing. And I can remember watching and being like, hey, that's the site Cordelia uses. I'm being very excited about that. It's also, we all know already, the first time someone on TV used Google as a verb. And now we're going to have a reading of that scene with Jennifer Wright as Buffy, Danielle Kibblesmith reading as Xander, and Courtney Rush reading as Willow. Cassie's records all show the same thing. Good grades, good kid, then all of a sudden, not so good grades. Absenteeism. Comments about apathy and depression. So the question is, what changed? Right. If she did have some sort of psychic vision, that would explain it. Do you really think this girl is some kind of precog? Oh, I don't know. I told you about the shirt, right? Buff, you spilled a cup of coffee. I'm not saying you don't have Slayer Grace, but it's not the first time. I mean, maybe, just maybe, you're you're trying so hard to help that you're seeing paranormal was just normal. Maybe, but maybe not. Want me to check her medical records? Her doctor already sent them. Let me see that. Strep throat, ear infections, yeast infections, none of my business. No real info here. Oh, have you Googled her yet? Willow, she's 17. It's a search engine. Look. Okay, let's see what Cassie Newton pulls up. Hey, look, check this. She's got her own site. A day and a half of researching and we finally try looking her up. Wow, that's a lot of poems. Poems, always a sign of pretentious inner turmoil. Y'all nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) And so... I really like, this is another moment where I kind of, it's very like old school, I mean, not old school, but like within the universe of the show, it reminds me of like early seasons, them like doing some research and just kind of like bantering while doing it. Xander, when Xander's like, oh, she's a teen girl, I'm like, that does make me cringe a little, ah, because it's like, but it's also like, feels like a dad, like dad joke that Xander probably would make, right? And speaking of precog, Willow makes a joke about Doogie Hauser, which I think I know, foretells right. her co-starring with NPH on How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> I love that she makes that joke about Doogie Hauser, which also is like, like fan so fiction. Dated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I meant to look that up because I was like, oh, God, wasn't Doogie Hauser like way before this? But I guess not, right? Because mm-hmm. that was like early 90s. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I feel like it was on for a long time too. Yeah, that's, I mean, I mean, it's like the prescience. This as I watched it again, I was like, wait, this this is an episode about prescience, but there's also prescience in the episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, Xander has the very good line of poems: "Always a sign of pretentious inner turmoil," which I'm pretty sure was like my aim away message for a while. <laughs> I felt very attacked by that line. In particular. <laughs> But, however, because it's like, the truth hurts. I was like, oh my God, that's what my poetry also is. <laughs> uh, so we also, we get Willow. Um, Willow is when she, before she mentions the dude, Yazer, she's like, you post some love poems online. And Xander like recognizes, oh, they might have been about me. Allison Hannigan's delivery of, I'm over you, sweetie, is so good. <laughs> it's so great. It's just perfect. But in Xander, but total Xander fashion, he's still like, so it was still love poems. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Still like, you admitted it. Uh (laughs) Aha. I also wanted to point out that they built this website. Like this was a website you could visit, Cassie's like whatever it was. Um, And I used to go to it all the time just to like. Yeah, it was a great website. It was not bad actually, because especially for the time. And I love it. Yeah, right? Especially for the time. It was like really well done. And it seems like such a weird thing because like they didn't need to, but it's cool that they did, right? Yeah. I wish it was still there, but I, I did check before this episode. I was like, wait, is there any chance? And I was like, nah, it's not. Bummer. <laughs> it is like, it is one of those, um, Charlie, I think you referenced what it, like it's hosted on one of those like weird, like it was hosted on one of those weird hosting sites from back in the day, I think. So I'm sure it expired. It was like Angel Fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. City yeah. Angel Fire was something like that. <laughs> this episode overlap with Lost because I wonder if maybe that's where the inspiration came from since so many things from Lost also existed in the real world for fans to interact that's, with. That's true, they did. Oh. Huh, I don't know. But yeah, so this scene is really good. Uh, Dawn mentions that her number one suspect is the friend Mike, which we know it is not him because she said that he you know, asked her to prom this many times or whatever. I <laughs> Then Buffy and Xander go to visit Cassie's dad, which feels like... So inappropriate. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. I yeah, also was like, that's not you said how you're a teacher. Works. I know. I'm sorry. I was just, that was another moment where I was like, this is not how mandated reporting works at all. You should, I was like, after the principal, there's certain steps that should be taken. And she just busted this guy's house at night. How did he not just kick them out after she's like, so are you a, an alcoholic that beats your kid? Right. <laughs> like, she's not even like, if they start questioning him and then she's just immediately like, are you going to beat up your daughter? And it's like, oh, you Listen, are not going to this trying job. to stop the death of a teenage girl. For Buffy, it was the priority. Rules That's be damned. True. That's true. That is true. Because I was like, I put in my notes, this like theoretically could have made things worse for Cassie. Uh, yeah. But I mean, and she yeah. learns that he's not even seeing her. Um, she's like, what, with her mother, I think, at the time that she said she's going to die. They run into Cassie when they leave, and I really, she really kills this speech. Oh, it's so good. I, I think it's it very much mirrors also uh, Buffy's speech in becoming to her mother mm-hmm. when she's uh-huh. like, you know, I, I wish I was, you know, or thinking about boys, but I can't. And I feel like, do we think that was an on purpose nod to that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I feel like it okay. also references the moment where Buffy says, "Like I'm only sixteen. I don't. I don't want to die." Mm, which yeah that's season one right yeah yeah yes that's true and i this season a lot of this season is like referential to earlier seasons so that would that would track but yeah man she she, zora sky kills that whole speech because it's like oh this is a one-off character but we like genuinely care about her and like you like want buffy to save this 
character and a lot of the a lot of the one-off human characters tended to not be as dynamic but i think while i i understand dana and i spoke with amber benson earlier this year and we both we talked to her about why she didn't come back as the first and while in my brain i always did kind of want it to be tara i understood why she didn't want to come back and why it wasn't tara and I, while in my brain, I can't think of a better character, this actor is just so good that mm-hmm. she nails it here and then nails it as Cassie, but actually the first, like she does both really well. And I think that they probably, I'm sure they didn't write it for her, but I'm sure they were like, oh, that actor was really good. We can bring her back because that's a dead character and the first can be that character. Well, also she like, sh- there was something different about Cassie's situation. It was a thing that no matter what Buffy did, she couldn't stop. Right. It's yeah. like her yeah. mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. This was like the parallel to me with the body, oh, yeah. which is because there's only two regular deaths in in Buffy, right? It's just yeah. right her it, mom it, and mom Cassie. Cassie, and she can't do anything about either one. And yeah, I don't that I think that made that scene even more poignant because she's saying this, and Buffy's like, "But come on, then fight! You can do this." And it was yeah, like, and and there's not like Buffy can say that all she wants, but like one, Cassie doesn't really know how, but she just knows it's going to happen. And two, there's as we learn in the end, there was nothing for her to fight, right? Yeah. It's, she has this heart condition and she passes away from that. There was nothing, there was no like big bad really for Cassie to fight, to live for. It was just like, I have this heart condition and, you know, she dies of a natural death, which I, I do, I don't know, we'll, we'll continue. Uh, Charlie, you were about to say something. Yeah, I was going to say in, in reference to conversations with dead people, I think one of the relevant points is that although Willow knows who Cassie is, she never actually interacts with Cassie. So when Cassie shows up later, she's like, oh, right yeah yeah but she also knows yeah wait wait that doesn't make sense what? does it does she have does she see a picture of cassie <laughs> she she said yeah that she in- does there's a scene yeah. where will is right. holding that picture yeah yes yeah. and so cassie yeah. is there as like speaking for tara so she knows she's from the beyond yes that yeah. tracks. okay <laughs> i like that you started out with it and then you're like wait i, I might like, be wrong and then yeah, like, no, yeah. i'm right wait i got myself <laughs> <laughs> um yeah because i i rewatched uh, i rewatched a couple of the up i rewatched a lot of this, the top of season seven to try to like figure out what i'm gonna do for the cover art and yeah there and there's a line where she's like willow says to her oh we met well not really but i know who you are mm-hmm. something like that and yeah so i she's right so buffy goes to visit spike in the basement um samira i'm i want to hear you talk about spike <laughs> yeah <laughs> why because i just love him so much i i feel like it's every i'm just gonna say that i every vampire is problematic because uh, of issues with consent so i just want to put that out there because i don't want people to think like why do you like this vampire who did all these terrible things but i do really like spike i think he has the my favorite story arc and the fullest story arc or the most complete story arc of any character in the buffy universe um and so like this moment, and also I want to say that this right, oh gosh, I can't remember the writer of this show, um, of this episode. It's Rebecca Rand Kirshner, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has some of the most tender spike moments in her, the episode she writes. And in this scene, we have a little bit of that, you know, spikes the struggle between being the monster and the man. And like the madness that's coming to attack him because, which is really in part of his soul, but also the first. And so that scene where he's just like so quiet with the curly hair, not the gelled hair. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, crying. I feel like that's important. <laughs> and like, you know, the crying and when Buffy comes down, I don't know. It's just like, it, to me, it was like another, it's just a, such a tiny scene, but such a poignant scene. But also when Buffy's like, is there something evil down here? I just want to be like, duh, we're like a couple seasons yeah. in. Have you not realized that yet? <laughs> I put that in all caps. They're on the fucking hell mouth. Of course there's evil. Be more specific. <laughs> and then Spike takes it as like, yes, there is. And it's me. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I do like that. I do, I'm not always 100% on their uh, handling of the thing that happened that we all don't like from mm-hmm. season six. Um, well, one of the, the worst thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, but I do like that he is at least addressing it kind of, um, where he's like, I'm the bad thing. I did a bad thing. And Buffy, again, has her, her eyes on the prize. She's like, we're not talking about me. We're talking about this girl that I'm trying to save in like hours. So let's speed this up, Spike. And I mean, James Marsters really nails all of his scenes in this season in the beginning when he's like going, like when he's like unhinged in the basement. Um, I, his acting is like real good in oh, these gosh, scenes. I know. The burning cross scene. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I love the detail where Buffy grabs his wrist and he looks at it with shock. And I think that's a reference to the fact that the first has been taking the form of Buffy to talk to him, but has never touched him. Yeah. And so it's yeah. his realization that this is the real Buffy. Yes. Yes, which is, which kind of we will like do with like, there'll be a parallel with that later on when he's captured and she goes to save him and he just assumes it's the first mm-hmm. again. Yeah. And it's yeah. like really her. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I can't like talk enough about how good the acting is on the show, but like James Marsters for a bit that I don't love, he does a really good job of it and he sells it. I think he like all the, all the main actors always 100% commit on the show. And I think that's a big reason why it always works. He also saw, I mean, the the reason I love Spike is because you can see, like, he hits, like, so many notes. And this is, I mean, Dana, when you said this is, like, the most human episode, because Spike has such this human moment in that sentence where he says to Buffy, like, please stay with me and help me be quiet. And she says... I think me being here makes it worse. And obviously I have some better stuff to do because I'm trying to save this girl. <laughs> but that moment, because you can just feel that thing because we've all had that pang, which is I know this person who I love or whatever, is it's going to be torture for me to be around them, but I want to be around them. Yeah. Yeah. You do feel bad for him, right? Like when he, you feel bad because it's like he's he's in this basement all alone and he's just like, no, please stay. And, you know, Buffy isn't being like, it, it is what it is right she just says i think it's worse when i'm here she's not that's not a judgment it's just her saying like how she feels and kind of what she thinks is true and i don't know i i, I just like that I, I really like that and i mean they i know sam shargeller has gone on record to say that she prefers buffy with angel but they both have really good chemistry it might just be acting chemistry but mm-hmm. i don't know i love it Agree. Oh, hey, wait, something something we missed before the spike scene is, um, as Buffy often does, um, they are the opposite of Occam's razor. It's always the zebras. Um, so, of course, there would be a cult of teenage boys <laughs> gathered to burn Cassie's picture. So they're the most likely suspects now in that death. And, and that, I think, kind of calls back to Reptile Boy in season two. Because they were they were they were sacrificing girls to get money as well. Oh yes, right, right. Oh, I forgot about. I forgot why they were. I I often forget the why. I'm just like, yeah, there was a sacrifice in Buffy. Like I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was for infinite riches. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna sacrifice a girl for. <laughs> Where do I sign up? So Buffy, as she comes up, she runs into that boy Mike, who's Cassie's friend, and I do really like this scene 
where this is where we learn that he really isn't a suspect. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I asked her, blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, then you're asking Dawn. And SMG's timing is really good because she goes from like, oh, okay. And she smiles, relieved that this guy isn't a monster. And then is like, you're asking my sister to the dance and she's your second choice. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Which, yeah, we don't often get to see Buffy. I mean, I really don't actually see Buffy in the setting of, you know, like this is like a teen boy talking about Dawn to Buffy. Like, I don't know. We don't often get that perspective. And I like, I don't know. I just like it. It's also the most teenage thing to happen. Like the person <laughs> you like are obsessed with turns you down. Two seconds later, you meet like their new friend and you're like, ah, oh, new obsession. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll ask this person. <laughs> Principal Wood is looking in that locker. He, the coins pour out, which we know Cassie had said earlier to Buffy. Buffy interrogates this boy. Now, Dana, this wasn't your friend, right? It was one of the other ones. Uh, right. We see, we see Dawn and Cassie. Dawn is kind of like panicking because we know that this is this is the end. This is it, right? And Zachary Ty Bryan comes up to Dawn to interrupt her, which I assume is like this is when the other boys are kidnapping Cassie. He's like distracting Dawn so they can nab her. Um and he it's a very like she's all that kind of thing where he's like, Oh, do you have a date to the prom? And she's like, I don't. And he's like, Well, I just want to know if you had a date. Bye. It no feels worries. very yeah, it feels very high school y though. I feel like a, such a misandrist after this. <laughs> I know. He's, he's such a jerk. It was just for a survey. I'm like, oh, it's so. But they were hitting all the toxic masculinity points with yes, him. Yes, definitely. Samira and Dana, you both worked in high school. Do you, like, I feel like it tracks for, like, mean high school boys, right? Um, Most of my boys were gay. <laughs> of course, Dana. A blessing. <laughs> Um, I, I, the ones that, I don't know the ones that weren't weren't particularly caustic they okay. were pretty decent guys no I met some boys like this so I was like this kind of this felt normal to me I, I think this is I think what I do like about this episode is that we have the friend who is just like this sweet like nice kind of soft boy like attracted yeah. to the poet girl so I like that we have a little bit of balance yeah. with that and like the toxic boys who are, you know, wanted to kill a girl for like the infinite riches. Right. And are, I don't know if they're jocks or not, but it kind of had that sort of jock trope yeah. um, with it. Um, so, I mean, I definitely think, you know, it can run the gamut in a public school. And I, I mean, him doing that little thing with like, hey, just asking a survey, that actually felt pretty realish mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny that you call him a soft boy because, yeah, he's the boy I would have had a crush on in high school. <laughs> Like, that would have been the boy, not, like, the dumb jock. It would have been, like, oh, the nice boy who, like, maybe skateboards sometimes. <laughs> Do we also think that this is the moment when Cassie gets kidnapped, though? And that's why yeah. he's... Yeah, yeah okay. I, I totally think he's distracting her. That way she's not watching Cassie okay. and the other boys can grab her. So, mm, where are we? Mm, oh, we just... we Then we just cut to the school at night, right? Because then we cut to the seance or whatever it is that they're doing the sacrifice <laughs> yeah um do any of you i can't remember i think i've maybe asked you dana and charlie did any of you watch veronica mars oh, by yeah. any chance oh, yeah i did yeah obsessed yeah so, I, love that show. I yeah me too um i often mix up there's a scene in veronica mars mm -hmm. where she has her camera and she's invested i often mix these two scenes up and I meant to look it up because I don't remember which episode of Veronica Mars it is, but there's one where she's like, it's like there's a secret cult at her high school 
And she brings her camera and she says, like, smile and say, like, homoerotic. And she, like, takes a picture of all the boys doing, like, something. But I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if that rings any bells. It's, the episode is um, Clash of the Tritons, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, and they are inducting their new members, uh, one of whom is Duncan. Right. Right. And that's like this, it's like some secret society. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I often think that Zachary Ty Bryan was in that episode of Planet <laughs> Mars, but he was in this episode of Buffy. He would have been right in. <laughs> and I also still like was waiting for Buffy to say, like, this is really homoerotic. And then I was like, no, that's Veronica that says that. But she does say it's going to go on your permanent record. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then says, like, very much is like, do you know how lame this is? And my favorite kind of Buffy is the, like, Buffy that knows that this threat is not really a threat to her, and she's just kind of annoyed by it. Yeah. That's one of my favorite versions of Buffy in a battle when she's just like, oh, God, this is annoying. This is stupid. I'm going to defeat you very easily because, like, you know, this is not a super powered teenager. This is just a regular teenage boy. So clearly she can kick his ass. I feel like that's definitely her response when it is a teenage boy who's responsible for the problem of the episode. (laughs) That is true. I like that he's like, as soon as he's like, I'm going to kill you, bitch. She's like, nope, no, you're not. And just like kicks him over and he falls. I almost wish that the spell or whatever had not worked because I like the idea of these boys like completely fooling or fumbling through whatever it is they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, but also it is like an episode of Buffy. So we have to okay. have her fighting a monster at some point. <laughs> I do want to give a quick shout out to Buffy's hair in this moment, though. The the really lustrous pony. It's like super bouncy. It's just like, I think it's the best hair of the episode. You know, she wears her hair up a lot this season. And I, really I know, like I it. think it's good. I like the way the bangs are yeah. this yeah. season. Yeah, I, you know, I'm glad you all agree. Because I, <laughs> I have often said, like, I think season five is her best hair. But I think season seven is, like, up there. She wears a lot of updos, and I think they always look good on her. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that everyone can pull it off so well, but she really does. And then Spike comes in. Right. <laughs> Dana's like back on track Ian. I know. Let's get to the best part, okay? <laughs> All right, talk on that. Spike comes in. Yes, Dana, go ahead. With a flaming torch. <laughs> in a library. <laughs> <laughs> he's got his, he's he's regained himself temporarily um right. and he is able um to help Buffy torch the demon. Right. Yes. And she tells him to save Cassie. He, you know, we don't we get to see Spike beat up this guy. And I feel like in previous seasons, it would be like he would hit him once and then he'd be like in such pain he can't do anything else. But he does keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, Cassie delivers her line of someday she'll tell you. And it gives me so many feelings. I know. So, James Marshall's look, the look on his face is great. Like I rewatched this particular scene, I think like seven times to prep for today. <laughs> and the looks at all their faces are just are just perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there. I, this cast is very good at like emoting and not like without delivering, like just emoting, I think. And because even though it's Spike who's like having the meltdown, still like going through it with his soul, he's like coherent enough to like, he kind of like immediately knows what she's talking about, right? Yeah. And he conveys that just through like his look where he's like, he like pauses and stops. And Cassie doesn't, I don't, she doesn't like quite know what she's saying, mm-hmm. but she knows that that's like the thing to tell him. Um, and yeah, I really, really like it. Ugh. I watched it twice this week and both times I was like, oh God. Like I, I have problems with Spike, but I still, ugh, I still like to deep down do love him. And that is just, I can remember the gasp I gasped when I watched this episode live being like, oh, 
I hope it means she does. Like, I didn't know if it would actually happen, but I was like really hoping it would because I was really pushing for that when I watched this live. So Buffy, what happened? Oh, then, so she does burn down the demon with the torch spike. Well, the brought. Demon, demon bites uh, the right. bad dude first before he, <laughs> he puffs away. Right. I, I like that she like burns him, it falls to the ground, and then it, then it bites the dude. And I wonder, uh, does that like give? Did that like put demon juice in Peter? Like, was that like? Can you can you fix that with vaccine? What? How do you do? That? <laughs> did it get an aspect of the demon? And if so, was it horns? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like that she's like, my office hours are ten to four. Is like a very. I, I know that, like, especially back in the day, Buffy would get like referred to as a kind of like Spider Man or like a superhero making puns. Well, and it just feels so very Buffy, like. She's not pressed by you. Like, she's not pressed. She's not, like, worried about this dude who, like, she just, like, kicked and knocked over. He got bit, and she does not give a shit. And I love it. That's the the confident Buffy who doesn't care is, like, one of my favorite Buffies when she's fighting a villain. Then we leave. Buffy's telling Cassie how, you know, look, I hope you're not disappointed. And one of the, I probably your friend, Dana, one of them had said at the beginning of the, the scene, oh, we booby-trapped the whole like room so no one can get out yeah i believe and yeah yeah and so she opens the door the arrow flies at her she still catches it but then cassie still dies and i don't know it's like pretty heartbreaking right yes yeah (laughs) they and like you know buffy over her like freaking out you know buffy's buffy's not used to and i mean you know as we mentioned earlier buffy's not used to not being able to defeat a thing and here we are with like she thought she defeated it, but like the the girl she was trying to save still passed away. I think it's really like this is one of the parts of the episode I really love because there are two fake outs about when Cassie is going to die. And the second one even feels anticipated because we've been set up with the booby trap line. So when Buffy catches the arrow, we're like, oh, Cassie really is gonna live and we can relax. And then the they then that that's when they plunge the knife into us, right? So that's I think right. great writing. This was also like the whole, because this show, especially even with Cassie's name, Cassandra, is like, this is like the whole Greek tragedy element that kind of runs through the show, which is like, you can't escape your fate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Cassie is like the the seer who no one believes. And then like, and Buffy wants so hard to intervene and she wants to make the difference. She wants to save the girl. And Cassie keeps telling her, you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. This is going to happen. May and... I suggest that this perhaps is her way of trying to fix or redeem in her own heart what happened to Tara, hmm. a, a, a person she cared about who was felled by a very human mm-hmm. person and this, you know, Buffy couldn't save Tara, maybe Buffy can save Cassie. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do like that. I feel like there's maybe a callback too to Buffy's own death because that was prophesied, right? And so the prophecy and the the precognition feel like cousins in a way. And so Buffy knew her own death was coming just like Cassie did. They both died at school. They both died in conjunction with the big dance. So I feel like that's another good callback in the plotting of, of how this situation plays out. I hadn't even thought about it, but that's a good point. You yeah. mean the, fr- the first season death? Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, because oh, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then we get the Scooby sitting around being sad, which is rough. Um, but I think 
I, I appreciate, well, like, it's not like I enjoy watching it. I appreciate that we still, in the episode where we first get to see Willow grieving over Tara, we also get like, oh, this character dies. And it's not just like, we're not just ending it with that character died. We're going to show you how it affected our main characters, um, which for a one-off character isn't something we usually ever got. Um, so I do appreciate that they like ha- handled it with care of like, look, the Scoobies are grieving over this young girl that they couldn't save. Buffy, Buffy and Dawn especially are like really affected by it. Um, I hate watching my babies be sad though, <laughs> but I, I really like the end beat of it being like, look, you still have to go to work the next day. You still have to like, I don't know. I think, I think about that a lot with grief, right? I think a lot about like what happens, what happens now especially in like movies or shows where it's like, you know, in a horror movie when everyone dies, I often think of like, okay, but what happens to those characters after they survive this thing? Because everyone still died and it was awful. Um, So I I like that they kind of show you like, oh, Buffy does have to go to work the next day. And like, you know, things have to keep going for Buffy, even though she's clearly mourning the loss of this young girl. Um, I don't know. What did you all think of that and beat? Of like her going to the office, well, Samir. So I, I actually really liked it. I mean, I, I actually think this that moment of them on the couch was one of Dawn's like mm-hmm. great moments because Dawn is the one who's telling Buffy, it wasn't your fault. Like you tried, you you sure, tried yeah. to help her, and I, you know, and you because of you, I be, was able to get a, a new friend, and you know, it wasn't your fault. It was the fault of her heart. And then Buffy comes back with that question of, what are you know, because she's a slayer. She's the one who can help everyone except for a couple times where she hasn't been able to. And then she's like, has that question, like, what do you do when you know that maybe you can't help? And that last beat is the answer, which is you still keep going and you still keep fighting and you still keep trying. And that is Buffy. Well, I, I kind of wanted to go back to something you said earlier about um, powerlessness, because that's, that's what really stood out to me in the moment. I, like grief in, in a way is the the ultimate expression of powerlessness over the forces of life. But this whole season so far has really explored ideas of powerlessness in interesting ways. So, you know, Spike is powerless in the basement. Willow spends the previous episode being powerless to, to reach her friends. Xander's powerless to stop Anya from becoming a demon. And even Anya is powerless as a demon. Essentially she can't like she turns someone into a Frenchman instead of a frog. Um, and he, and like, this is Buffy's turn to be powerless. The next episode all four of the women become powerless to a man. And then the climax of the season is, is Buffy finding a way to overcome all of that powerlessness that everyone has experienced. So it, it, it's a really interesting way to like see that idea over and over again in, in very different ways, in different contexts, and even different tones. So here we get grief. The next episode is very comedic. The episode with Willow is really wistful. So it, yeah, I, it's one thing I love about season seven. Oh, I love that. I was going to say that one of the things, one of the themes in this episode for me was about seeing. And that's actually, I thought that was like a through line through a lot of this season too, which is that earlier episode with Willow where they can't see each mm-hmm. other. Um, and then like when Spike first comes back, Anya is the one who can see, quote unquote, see him, like see a soul. Anya is also the one who can see Willow. Um, and then Buffy's the one who can see the potential, you know, the potentials and what that could potentially mean. And then Cassandra, Cassie is the one who sees things and, and w- sees them in, in such a way like to say, well, there's some things that you can't change and some things, you know, that I know th- you will do to make a difference. So I like that that was one of the through lines 
also. That's amazing. And now with our fashion roundup of help, we have season seven costume designer, Matt Van Dyne. Hi, Matt. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm glad to have you back on. Well, thank you so much. I'm I'm really delighted to be here, and I'm just uh, I'm just kind of surprised that you want me here. <laughs> so. <laughs> so tell everyone, although like I mean, you still have a lot of things from the show, right? Like you found the script for this. I did. I did at the last minute today. Actually, it was just a a little hunch. I thought, well. I wonder if I do have that script, and sure enough, I did. So I don't have them all, but I did have this one. So, so yeah, I'm so, thrilled. So yeah, what do you remember about um, the like costumes and stuff from this episode? Well, you know, the first thing that that really grabbed me as I was watching the episode was I went, "Oh, this is the episode that had all of." The, I think there were ten red robes in in this episode for the the cult or whatever it oh, was. Yeah, it was yeah. and if you really watch if you really look at that look at how those robes fit there there was a little problem with those and well we kind of stretched them out as much as we could i i don't know what happened it was in the um it was in the manufacturing of them through the person that made our costumes i don't know if they just mismeasured or whatever but if you look at the hoods when the when the people are wearing the hoods up, the the shoulders on the robe are like pulling up on on off of their shoulders because the hoods are so tight. <laughs> so so if you really look at it, you know you'll go, oh, I guess you know, boy, that's a that's a really snug fit. <laughs> so, but but they ended up working. I and if I hadn't mentioned it, probably nobody ever would have realized that. Yeah. <laughs> but it did make me go, oh, that's the episode. And that was a big deal that day on the set. It was like, oh, my gosh, are these going to work? But they did. So and it's funny. And then in my notes, I was noticing, oh, uh, Velcro for the red robes. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I found the, the, the Velcro where we bought the Velcro. But, yeah, so, so that's what came up first. And second was the tank top, the little top that Sarah wears, where she spills the coffee on her. And I think I had mentioned that before to you, that I actually have that little top. And it's in my little co- – that's that's the extent of my collection pretty much. But <laughs> – but, um, and I, I, and I was looking back in my records, and those were Hanes, just regular Hanes, little boys tank tops and we bought and we bought i believe two packages of five and they were forty three dollars and five cents and the reason i'm sure that we had so many was because of the the whole spilling the coffee yeah spilling the coffee yeah but didn't didn't she look pretty in that just that simple little tank top and and the pearls or the well not pearls but i guess it was like a you know like a bobbly kind of white necklace with it but that that little outfit is brought to attention by the other character cassie in that scene where she said oh i really like that top but it was interesting going back in the script i was noticing in my shopping notes i was buying for anya and i'm thinking well anya is not in this episode and i go back to the very first script the shooting draft mm-hmm. and anya is in the script but then they removed that they removed that later so 
That's so yeah, yeah, very interesting. So she's that, normally in every episode, there's only like a few that she's not. Yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. She had, she was with another character, as I recall, as I was quickly reading through it, named Lulu. I don't know who Lulu was, but so yeah, they they were just having a little scene together. <laughs> so, so, but then they cut that out of the script. So, but that's I guess why I was shopping for her because uh, you know she was originally in the script. Let's see, what else did I recall? And that's well, I just noticed where we bought certain items, you know, for for the show, like Sarah's most of Sarah's wardrobe in that episode came from Barney's, I believe. Barney's New York. Yeah. Barney's. Yeah. Which I guess is no longer in business. That's that's a sad note. But uh but I was I was thinking when I was reading my um my notes, I'm like, white flouncy sleeve top. And then I went back and watched the episode again, and I see it at the very beginning. That's that's where, where that little top appears. It's funny, as much money as we would spend on Sarah, on other things, you know, well, I told you Sarah's top was, other top was not very expensive at all, five bucks. But, <laughs> but, but for the other characters, sometimes... Uh, we would be spending a lot of money and sometimes not. I noticed like uh, for Michelle Trachtenberg for the little white blouses she was wearing, it was just a little, um, no, it was like a $50 little blouse. Mm-hmm. You know, we bought it just a little boutique uh, in uh, a shopping plaza that's no longer here either in LA any longer. And then, and it was interesting. I was wondering about, the character Cassie, uh, her um, outfit, I thought, well, the white stripes. Yeah. And uh, and then when I found my script, I was trying to figure out, now, where did I get those white stripe, you know, shirts? Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, for sure, they must have come from Urban Outfitters. But then I was wrong, because when I found my script on the cover of the script, I write white stripes T, white stripes T, and then I have a, a phone number for the management of the the group, White Stripes, the band. And what was really funny was, I think I mentioned this to you earlier. Earlier, though, the the contact person that I had there was named Ian, and I thought, well, how funny, how how prescient of <laughs> you know, like Cassie's character, you know, like. Uh, <laughs> The all-knowing, you know, all-knowing. Yeah, mention, I asked you this before recording, but uh, that okay. you, to have the band, to have her wear a band t-shirt, you said yeah. you did have to reach out to them, right? You had to get permission. Yeah, yeah, you did get permission. You know, clearance is what we always call it. Like, usually anything identifiable like that, uh, certainly with ball teams, all those uh kinds of things that are so identifiable. Even uh, I remember back in the day, just even a like a Ralph Lauren polo shirt, you had to you had to do something to either change that logo or do something because you you know it was it was protected. So you know we we would we would have to uh, get permission. Yeah, we did get permission. Yeah. And uh, is there anything is there anything else before we before I let you go? Anything else from this episode you wanted to mention? Well, just what I was just so um, 
delighted watching it was and seeing uh, Allison, you know, the graveyard scene. I just thought how beautiful she looks there and so appropriate. And I didn't realize until I read in the script, uh, going back to the script, that her laying the stones on the on the headstone, that's a Jewish tradition. I did not know that. Yeah. You know, um, when I watched the show the first time, I think I thought it was like a like a witchy thing. But then I. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did, too. But I just thought she looked so lovely in that uh, outfit and uh, her clothing, as I recall, came from most of that came from Neiman Marcus. And it was just beautiful. I just thought she looked so beautiful and the coloring and and just the just, just the palette of the whole episode, which is just consistent, I think, throughout the season of how the show looks. I, I'm very uh, proud of it and proud of the work that I did on it and proud of the work that uh, certainly my predecessor, <clears throat> excuse me, Terry Dresback did. And uh, my crew, all the, my wonderful crew, I mean, I just think everybody looks so nice. And, and that's just not my doing. That was a group effort, believe me. And one person I have always meant to mention who was so instrumental in what we did in our department. Her name was Lila Ross, is Lila Ross. And Lila was just basically a coordinator for everything that I needed or the crew needed. And she had a little desk right outside my office and she was just a whiz. And, and, and I just meant to mention her earlier. And I I, I, I just loved her and, um, and still in contact with her as well too. So oh, nice. Yeah. So that that's pretty much it. Okay, cool. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Okay, sure. Well, thank you. It's always a it's always a pleasure, Ian. Thank you so much. And now we're gonna rate our favorite outfits. Mine was Buffy's floral print flowy blouse she wears in the opening scene. Uh, it's got to be Spike. I'm sorry. I know there was a lot of great like '90s outfits in here, and I also was I was also the girl who would wear t-shirts and like long flowy skirts and stuff like that. But I was like, I'm sorry, Spike in the black shirt and the black pants. It's the closest rival to the blue shirt, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I was like, dang, okay, Spike is back. <laughs> like, thank you for giving us this moment of brightness in such a bleak episode. <laughs> Well, first, I want to give an honorable mention to every sheer flowy floral top that Buffy wears in this episode, and there are like five of them. But my my favorite outfit is actually Dawn's junior realtor blazer that she wears when she leaves school. Shut up. I'm going to say that too. <laughs> like every time that comes on, I'm like, did people wear that? Like, um, did- I would wear that today. <laughs> So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I'm sorry for what I just said about the blazer. It's it's fine. I'm in marketing now, so I need to dress like a little bit more businessy. I totally wore blazers in high school. It was the '80s, but I did. It's that is that burgundy blazer that Don wears. It's got some sort of design on it. I don't remember what it was, but it's I, I think it's a great blazer. Favorite scene. Mine was Willow visiting Tara's grave. Uh, I got to go with when Dawn is revealed to be talking to Buffy about her problematic big sister. <laughs> Seeing my friend AJ wedding. <laughs> it's it's the sad scene. I love, I love the sad scenes, but it's when Cassie's saying, you know, I want to go on a road trip and I want to fall in love. That that was just the best. Now we're in grade the episode. I give it a B. I, this is, this is going to get a B plus for me. 
I give it a B. I'm also at a B. Thank you all for joining us, and thank you all for listening. If you like SlayerFest98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, and other places you get your podcasts. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe to us. Please give us a rating, and you can support the podcast on Patreon, where you get access to patron-exclusive mini-episodes, our monthly recap videos, our private Facebook group, and more. And if you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ian X Carlos. Where can everyone find y'all? Uh, Twitter, Charles underscore Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N. Instagram, Charles Jensen. And just to keep it very weird, on the web, charles-jensen.com. On Twitter and Instagram, it's Sam, S-A-M underscore I-A-Y-E underscore A-M-A-H-M underscore. And then my website is just samirahmed.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dana Pickley. That's two C's, one L. Or on queermediamatters.com or danapickley.com. All right. And thanks for joining us. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. 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 Thank you.